A with you. Amen. Isn't God good? Thankful for the goodness of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for uh, allowing me to be here. Amen. Allowing me to come. Thank you for the hospitality, the wonderful meal and fellowship last night, the, the accommodations in the room and everything. Amen. I'm just glad to be a part of what God is doing. I wasn't raised in an apostolic home. Uh, I don't have uh, that heritage. I've been in the church 31 years, but, but my story is uh, I took a different path to get here. And, uh, you know, I, I want somebody here to know your pedigree doesn't matter. Amen. God can use anyone he wants, anytime he wants, any man he wants. Amen. And I think he just uses people like me because he guaranteed to get the credit. <laughs> because in myself, I certainly can't do anything. So thank you. I know you're standing. Let's turn together to Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse number 16. I hesitated to preach this today because I have preached it before. I was in one place uh, visiting and a young man came up to me. He was about 12 and I love uh, the brutal honesty of children. <laughs> and uh, he was right there as a pastor's son. And he said, can I ask you a question? And I said, yes. He said, do you preach the same thing everywhere you go? <laughs> His dad was, <laughs> was mortified. <laughs> and I said, that's a great question because I do have the opportunity to do that. But no, I don't do that. I try to hear from God. And, and I feel like that this is what he wanted me to share today uh, with this church. Amen. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 16. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Now, Jesus called them excuses. Listen to what they said. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Well, who buys a house without looking at it? Kind of sounds like an excuse to me also, right? The next one said, uh, I, I, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go prove them. I pray you have me excused. Again, who buys a car without taking it on a test drive? Right. Yeah. So that also, so I like the third guy. Another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. He wasn't going to make an excuse. He just said, I'm not going to be there. Or if you're from South Mississippi like me, I ain't coming. <laughs> I pray that you have me excuse. So that servant came, showed his Lord these things, and the master of the house began, being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. The servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. Everybody say, there is room. There is room. The Lord said to his servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Amen. I want to preach for just a little while today on the subject. There's room at the table for you. Yes. Amen. Amen. There's room at the table for you. Can we pray together? Lord, I thank you for what you've already done today. Thank you for the wonderful presence of the Lord that we feel, the, the wonderful worship experience that we've had. Lord, we know that you're here, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, God. Now we ask that you will anoint our hearts to receive the Word, God. Lord, I don't want to leave here as just a hearer of the Word, but help me to be a doer of the Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> I read a story several years ago, and I just want to uh, share it with you briefly uh, here as an introduction. I believe it goes 
well with what we're talking about today. Uh, it, it said, do you remember when they had old-fashioned Sunday school picnics? I do, as I recall. It was back in the olden days, as my kids would say, back before they had air conditioning. They said, we'll all meet at Sycamore Lodge in Shelby Park at 4.30 Saturday. Uh, you bring your supper and we'll furnish the iced tea. But if you were like me, you come home at the last minute and when you got ready to pack your picnic, all you could find in the refrigerator was just one dried up piece of bologna and just enough mustard in the bottom of the jar that you got it all over your knuckles trying to get it out. Now, young people won't know what that reference is to. This is before squirt bottles, right? How many remember the big old jar of mustard? How are you supposed to? Anyway, when I read the story, he had me at, at mustard because I remember that vividly. And just two slices of stale bread to go with it. So you made a bologna sandwich, wrapped it in an old brown bag, and you went to the picnic. And when it came time to eat, you sat down at the end of a table uh, and, and you kind of spread out your sandwich. But the people that sat next to you brought a feast. And the lady was a good cook and she worked all day getting ready for the picnic and she had uh, fried chicken and baked beans and potato salad and homemade rolls and sliced tomatoes. I'm losing about half the crowd right here. And two big homemade chocolate pies to top it off. And there they spread all that out and there you sat with your bologna sandwich. But that family says to you, uh, why, why don't we just put it all together? No, I couldn't do that. I couldn't even think of it, you murmured. While one eye on the chicken. The lady said, oh, come on. There's plenty of chicken and pie, plenty of everything. And we just love bologna sandwiches. Why don't we just put it all together? And so you did. And there you sat eating like a king when you came like a pauper. He said, one day it dawned on me that God had been saying just that same thing to me. Why don't we take what you have and what you are. And I'll take what I have and what I am. And we'll just put it all together. I began to see that when I put what I had and was and am and even hoped to be with what he is, I stumbled upon the bargain of a lifetime. The story said I get to thinking sometimes about me sharing with God with how little I bring and how much he brings. And yet he invites me to share. I know I should be shouting it from the housetops, but I'm so filled with awe and wonder I can hardly speak. I know I don't have enough love or faith or grace or mercy or wisdom, but he does. He has all of those things in abundance. And he says, let's just put it all together. He's saying everything I possess is available to you. Everything I am can and can be to a person I will be to you. And, and he, the story finishes up with a couple of paragraphs. He says, when I think about it like that, it really amuses me to see somebody running around through life, hanging on to their dumb bag with their stale bologna sandwich, as if to say, God's not going to get my sandwich. No siree, not mine. You ever see anybody like that? Just so uh, needy, they're just about half starved to death, but they're hanging on for dear life. And he finishes it with the statement, you see, it's not that God needs your sandwich. The fact is, you need his chicken. That's right. Now, if my two older children were here, they would they'd roll their eyes and go, God, need, you, know, you need his chicken, because they've heard that. For their whole life. And they're 29 and 26. <laughs> but really that's true. God gives moments in life. When he invites us to join up with him. And team up with him. For a greater purpose. And for greater victories. He invites us to the table. If you would. Amen. 
King David experienced something like that long before he was king when he was stepped out onto the battlefield to face the giant Goliath. Uh, He kills the giant and he becomes what seems to be an overnight success. And uh, we pick up David's story. I I love the story of David. I could talk about it all day, but I'm just going to give you two glimpses into his life today and show you a couple of things. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, It came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking with Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go anymore to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, gave it to David, his garment, even to his sword and his bow and to his girdle. Now, David and Jonathan were very close friends. Amen. They were uh, they were the type of friends that uh, stick closer than even a, a natural brother many times. They made a covenant. The word for covenant in uh, the Hebrew is bereath, which is uh, literal cutting is what it's talking about. Uh, they literally became blood brothers. It would be in modern terminology because they cut their flesh to make a covenant with one another that they were going to be friends for life. Jonathan gave the clothes to David. Literally, as a prince, he was wearing royal clothing. Clothing that signified he was next in line for the throne. Even before David was uh, anointed, or he'd already been anointed, but even before David was uh, put in as king, Jonathan was prophesying that I know I'm next in line for the throne, but I'm going to take my priestly garment off and I'm going to place it on you because, David, the hand of God is on your life. God's going to use you for something great. And if I ever make it big in life, I will remember our covenant. I'll remember you and our friendship. And please, you do the same for me. Amen. We know that Saul became angry with David and and David uh, is wondering about his safety and and he's not sure what to do. He goes back to his friend Jonathan and said, you know, what do I need to do? And Jonathan said, I'll talk to my father and and, uh, you go hide out in the field and I'll bring one of my young men with me. And if uh, I'm going to shoot an arrow into the field and if my servant comes out to find the arrow, if I say you've gone too far, come back closer this way to get the arrow, then you know it's safe to come back to the palace. But if I say to my servant, go further, the, the arrows past where you are, then run and flee for your life. We know that this is what happens. And David is now on the run and, 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 and he's hiding from Saul and, and, and all of those things. But in chapter 20 uh, of 1 Samuel, David and Jonathan renew their covenant. He wanted to remind David of the covenant because Jonathan understood that one day David would be king and he would need favor that he would not otherwise have. He requested protection from himself and for himself and his family when David would take the throne in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse about 15 or 16. And so uh, it was that David now is king. I know I'm fast forwarding through a lot of the story, but uh, in their day, the, the common uh, behavior when one family took over power and another family was taken out of power, it was no... Uh, it was not unusual for the, the new king to have everybody completely wiped out. 
from the previous dynasty's family because they wanted to make sure that there would never be a rising up of that family to come back and overthrow the throne. So many of the kings in Israel, they would kill everybody from the previous king's family. And everyone knew that that was kind of the custom of their day. Amen. So I want to fast forward now several years into the life of King David. He's king. He's on the throne. Uh, Jonathan is dead. Saul is dead. Things are going well in the nation of Israel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, we pick up the story here with verse number 1. <clears throat> and David said, Is there any that is left of the house of Saul that I might show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake? The word kindness in this scripture means an attitude of love which contains mercy. This is unqualified acceptance. In other words, you didn't do anything to earn this mercy based on unconditional love. Amen. I love that because King David wants to do something nice for somebody who can't help themselves. And that sounds a lot like the situation I ran into when King Jesus did something for me. Well, they identify somebody. Verse 2, there was in the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called unto him, unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. Now Ziba probably thought like, well, it's been a nice run, but they found me. He probably thought he was about to be executed. No doubt that was what was going through his mind. Verse 3, the king said, Is there any yet... Uh, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan had a son who was lame on his feet. Now why would Ziba feel it necessary to point out that Jonathan's son had a handicap? All David said was, is there anybody left from the house of Saul? That I can show kindness to him. Ziba said, yes, Jonathan had a son and he's lame on his feet. He's crippled. He's got a, he's got a, a, a handicap. What he was saying was, David, are you sure about this? He, he doesn't fit into this surrounding. This is the palace. This is the throne room. Uh, this is where all the business of the kingdom takes place. And, and this young man has a, an issue. Are you sure of what you're getting yourself into? When we adopted our, our two children, prior to the adoption, we got involved uh, as foster parents. And many, many times a caseworker would ask us, uh, are you sure? The first day that we took our son into our home, uh, he was only two and a half months old. They had already recognized many uh, issues in his life and, and many problems that he had. And, and so they asked a question because the, the, the Child Protective Services, they don't... They don't really care, to be honest with you. All they want to know is how long are you willing to keep this kid because we don't want to be bouncing him around from house to house to house. That's all they wanted to know. So they asked my wife, how long are you prepared to keep this child? And she gave them an answer they were not expecting and never heard. And to be honest, I wasn't expecting it either. But my wife, I call her the baby whisperer. She just... You know, other, other families in church will have a new baby. They baby will start crying and they can't console it. They just take it over to my wife and the kid's out, out cold. You know, I'm looking in her shirt sleeve for hypodermic needles and stuff. Like, what are you doing to these children? How are they? She just has that knack. 
And so she loved babies. And, and we've had 30-something children under the age of two in our home over the last 30 years. And she babysits them until they're two and then tells the parents to find a daycare. And she gets another six-week-old and starts over. That's just who she is. And so they didn't know. Child Protective Services didn't know who they were talking to. They said, how long are you prepared to take care of this child? She didn't blink an eye. She didn't even take a breath. She said, until he walks down the aisle and says, I do. Now, who thinks of stuff like that? That's unusual. And I was even taken aback. I was like, okay, so that means I'm on the hook. (laughs) Until he says, I do, right? But that's how we feel about our, our son. And so we didn't ask what all his issues were. We didn't get a list. In fact, they didn't know, and still to this day, he's, he'll be four in May. We still don't know everything that we're going to run up against in his, in his young life. But I, I loved what David did. Ziba said, he's laying on his feet. In other words, you don't know how bad he is. Are you sure you want to do this? And David said in verse 4, where is he? He didn't say how bad is he crippled. He didn't say how, uh, how much time in the day is he going to take out of my schedule to help this young man. He just said, where is he? Ziba said, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Amen. His name was Mephibosheth, which is already bad enough. <laughs> Imagine second grade trying to spell that. Mephibosheth. I practiced just so I'd know how to say it. His name, Mephibosheth, by the, by the way, means no shame. He's crippled and he's not ashamed of it. See, it used to be uh, in Pentecost, even when I got in the church in 1988, that, that, that I had a little bit of shame about my, my lifestyle. I came uh, from alcohol and drug addiction and, and, and I was a little bit ashamed of it and tried to hide it the best that I could. And, 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 but today we're living in a world where people are living in all kinds of sin and they're not ashamed of it. They flaunt it. It's in your face. Yes. They don't care what you think about their life choices. This is what happened with Mephibosheth. He was crippled, but he was not ashamed. He was living in Lodabar. Lodabar in the Hebrew means a dry place. Uh, Really, technically, it means a place of no pasture. So he's living in a dry place, a famine, just like many people that we know, maybe even someone here today. And oh, by the way, the reason that Mephibosheth was crippled in the first place When the house of Saul and the house of Jonathan was under attack and the kingdom was coming down, Mephibosheth was just a baby and Ziba the servant picked up the child and began to run for his life and he stumbled and fell and he landed on the child and that's why he was crippled. You've got to wrap your mind around that. wasn't his fault. Needed somebody to show him mercy. I run into a lot of people just in the last few years um, and, and there's this thing going around called church hurt. I'm sure you've heard of that. What it means is it's people that say they were hurt somewhere by their church, maybe by their minister, maybe by uh, others in the church, maybe by the way they were handled. And, and when people are coming into our churches or we're out in the street inviting people, we have to realize that almost everybody in this community, no doubt, has some experience with church And most of them are going to say it's negative. If it's like every other town I've ever been to. They were hurt by someone in leadership. It's not their fault. That was Mephibosheth's story. 
He was a healthy baby until Ziba, his, his caretaker, his leader, dropped him, mishandled him. Yeah. It's not your fault. And it wounds and it cripples. He was crippled and not ashamed. He was in a dry place spiritually. But it doesn't have to be that way. Amen. Mephibosheth, you deserve to eat at the king's table. Yes, amen. You, wear, you should, should be wearing king's clothing. And David was saying, your dad, Jonathan, gave me his kingly garment. And I'm going to put some royal garments on you. I'm going to put you back in position where you should have been. It wasn't a baby's fault that Saul, his grandfather, acted the way that he did. <laughs> it wasn't his fault that the kingdom of Saul came down and David's kingdom came up. It wasn't his fault that Ziba tripped and fell and injured the child. And David said, I'm going to restore just like Jesus, He gave us everything we have. We should in turn give it to others, just like Jonathan did. Most everybody you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Amen. Amen. So because of the covenant, Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. I have a very vivid imagination. I love to listen to audiobooks because as the story's being told, I can put myself in that setting. I, I listen to some fiction. I like to listen to stories uh, about native reservation land because I've been to a lot of those places. Uh, if they're just talking about northern Arizona, and as they explain the, the scenery and all the surroundings, I can see it in my mind's eye and, and I can kind of get into the story. So uh, sometimes when I read the Word of God, I, I read it with a vivid imagination. You know, I was ADD before they knew what that meant. I just got spanked for it. Amen. <laughs> I've got several report cards from second, third, and fourth grade that's all satisfactories. And at the bottom it says he talks too much. And God said, I'm going to make a preacher out of him. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> so when I read this story about Mephibosheth coming to the king's table, I can see the palace. I can see the, the, the table laid out with the best silverware and, and the best crystal and all the food and all the preparation that's there and the, and the tablecloth. And it's probably a really long table, no doubt, because uh, David had, there, in the Bible, there's 19 children named. We know he had at least 19 kids. So that table was pretty long. And he probably had room for guests and, and for, for others to come and eat. He was the king. So I pictured in my mind, the dinner bell rings. It's time to go eat dinner. And all of David's children began to make their way to the table. The first one, I believe, would be Amnon. He's clever and witty. And he wants to find a strategic place near his father so he can hear about the day and what's going on in the kingdom. No doubt Joab, the captain of the host, came in and took a seat right next to David so they could discuss all of the things going on in the kingdom that day. Here comes Absalom making his way to the table. He probably had a mirror in his hand. He was the good looking one with the long flowing hair that cost him his life later. He's looking at himself. Here comes the beautiful Tamar, takes her place. The last one to the table, no doubt, was Solomon reading a book. He's the smart one. See, I told you I had imagination. He's making his way to the table. He sits down. Everybody is seated. And finally someone notices there's another place sitting at the table. Solomon probably noticed it first because he was the smart one. Who's coming to dinner? 
I wonder if it's a dignitary from another uh, dynasty somewhere coming to talk business with our father. I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's one of dad's friends. Maybe it's someone we've never met. And then they begin to hear this sound coming down the hallway. A slow, methodical sound. It sounded like someone really laboring just to walk to get to the table. Mephibosheth was crippled. He was lame, the Bible said, on his feet. And no doubt it took him twice as long to get seated at the table. They hear this sound moving very, very slowly. Can I tell you today that some people will come into the church and they're not going to have it all together. They're going to be spiritually crippled. They're going to be living in a dry place and not even ashamed of it. But we must make room for them at the table. Yes, amen. I know I, I, I work with multicultural ministries and, 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 and it applies to anybody. But I've seen some churches that uh, have made room at the table for other cultures. It's not convenient. My daughter goes to church in Salt Lake City and they're doing a, a daughter work, her and her husband, their first services in May on Pentecost Sunday. But the church they currently are at, uh, she's the church secretary. And um, this church a few years back decided... We're going to do something different for outreach. You know, something we've never done before. So I don't recommend this, by the way, but this is what they did. They took their white church van and they took a cooler full of popsicles and they went to an apartment complex. Now, that's the part I don't recommend. Because <laughs> if a white van rolled up on my apartment complex and you started passing out popsicles to my kids, I'm going to lose my mind <laughs> in this world we live in. But, but they, they did that. And these kids start coming out and, and getting popsicles. And they said it was a chaos. Kids running everywhere. And, and it, you know, one little kid would run up and say, I didn't get a popsicle. And he's got blue all down the side of his mouth. You know, and Clearly he had a popsicle. And, and then they run in the apartments and get their parents. I don't know what they were saying. You know, Come see the, the crazy church people that are passing out popsicles. I don't know what they said. But the parents began to come out. Then one distinguished, well-dressed man came out. These were clearly people from another culture. Uh, and he said, uh, are you from a church? They said, yes. He said, what kind? Pentecostal. He said, oh, praise the Lord, we're Pentecostal. He said, our country's in civil war, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we came to America as refugees and we decided to all stay together as a church, as a group. We're all placed in the same apartment complex. But when we got here, I found out that I, I, I couldn't get a building and I couldn't uh, had time to pastor the church because I have to meet certain requirements of work in order to keep my refugee status. And, and can, we, can we just come and join your church? And Pastor Ron Rice said, well, let me think about it. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, absolutely. And in one Sunday, they went from 70 to 150. Praise God. 80 Congolese refugees came and never left. My daughter, I said, she's the church secretary. She said, Dad, I'm glad we only do the bulletin once a month because I have to do it in four languages. English, Spanish, French, and Swahili. I preached there last Easter and uh, they had English worship. And then they had Spanish worship. And then they had French worship. And then it was time for lunch. <laughs> but they didn't stop. They had Swahili worship. And then they had me preach. There's four little rooms built into the back with glass doors. And a, and a guy in that booth is translating into headsets into Spanish and French and Swahili. I said, hey, what's that one for? He said, whoever's next. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not convenient. We've got to make room at our table. Amen. Yes, Lord. 
We got to make room at her table. Mephibosheth ate like a king because of a covenant and because David was willing to forget about the trouble he had suffered and do the right thing for somebody else. He restored all the land of Saul back to Mephibosheth. We take it up in verse 12 and I'm, I'm coming to a close. Said Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's name means uh, no shame. Micah's name means who is afraid. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have nothing to be afraid of if you're eating at the king's table. Amen. If you've got access to the palace, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Verse 13, I love the way the writer closes out the story. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. He chose to tell it again for some reason. And he even made it more specific. Earlier he was lame on his feet, and now he's lame on both his feet. He wanted to make sure that you knew that he still had his issues. He pointed it out. Even at the table, even with a kingly robe on, he still had his imperfection. But what I love to see is when they all get to their place and finally dad comes in and they can all sit down. And Mephibosheth sits down in his chair and he's ready for, for, for dinner. He sits down and he pulls his chair up to the table. And when he sits down, his imperfection is covered by the provision of the king. Amen. Whatever imperfection we have, if we get it covered by Jesus, covered by the provision of our king, whatever position you find yourself in today, it's not that God needs your sandwich. The fact is, you need his chicken. Can we stand together? So whatever position you find yourself in, maybe you're living in a dry place. Maybe, uh, maybe things have not gone the way that you had intended. Maybe things are not as you had seen them to be or planned them to be. And maybe it's not your fault. Maybe leadership or even church leadership somewhere along the way has injured you. You got an invitation today to eat at the king's table. And it's not just for all of us but it's for whosoever will let them come that my house may be filled. Can we pray together? Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for me, God. I could never repay you for one drop of your blood or one ounce of your mercy. But God, all I can do is to say that that with whatever life you give me, whatever time you allow me on this earth, God, I, I, I make a commitment to you that I'm going to reach others. I'm going to try my best to reach out and to speak faith into people's lives and to look past whatever inconvenience they may be or whatever imperfection they might have. And God, I want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in my community. Lord, help me, God, to not judge people by who they are or their status or what they look like or what they sound like or even, God, how they treat me. But help me to look at them the same way that you looked at me. The same mercy, God, that you showed to me. Help me to show it to others. In Jesus' name. That mercy's here today. If you need anything from the Lord, it's in this place. Amen. Why don't we just all come together around the altar? I, I, I don't ever want to leave without giving somebody... The-